We are back for the TV podcast talking about Game of Thrones. This is season four, episode 10, the final episode. It's called The Children. Who will think of the children? I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined by uh, the both uh, people who talked about Game of Thrones with us this year. Uh, Monty Ashley, of course, as always. Ten for ten, Monty. I made it. <laughs> you did it. You can cross the finish line. <laughs> I survived the season. Not like some people. And then, yeah, you ha- we haven't killed you off, shockingly. Well, the, the episode's <laughs> not over yet. We'll see what happens. You may die, shockingly. Oh, no. And Brian Hamilton is here, too. We haven't talked before. Hi, Brian. How's it going, Jason? Thanks for fill- filling in for me and making me look terrible by being so good. <laughs> no, it's uh, wonderful to finally be on uh, Skype with you talking. Although, I uh, I do agree with you that being overseas can be a huge hindrance to podcasting. I wish I could have been here for the past few episodes, but you guys did a fantastic job. Yeah, it's like I tagged <laughs> I tagged in and you tagged out and we switched places and, and you went far away. All right, so... Almost like our friends on Game of Thrones. The children, the children... The children. So, so much happened in this episode. I, I, I don't know where to begin. So let's begin at the beginning, where we, we pick up exactly where last week left off, and we have John walking through the snow past the dead <laughs> giant and all of that, and the burned elephants to go visit Mance Raider. Those were some happy crows. Oh, yeah, really it's a feast for crows, been... you could say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really surprised they've been uh, picking up right where they left off in the past few episodes. Like in uh, the episode right after Joffrey's death, they picked up literally the shot where the previous episode ended. And they did that again this week. So I thought that was pretty cool. Instead of just uh, starting right when you know they jump somewhere else, they start immediately where they uh, came in last episode. Yeah, it helps give the episodes more continuity. I'm still not entirely convinced that everything is happening at the same time, which you get when, like, when an episode spends all that time on a wedding that only takes maybe three hours of in-show time, but then keeps cutting to other people who are walking across the continent. So it's nice to actually say this episode and this episode right next to each other. Right, you don't have those weird uh, weird things where you've got the... the, the mixed up time where where there's just uh you know some people go through a week and some people go through a couple hours in the same episode yeah and the way that they structure it where you know you have people showing up for one episode not the next or uh you know people that have their storylines spread out uh, way way too thin like brand who we'll talk about later i feel like you know the way that the show does time really isn't that coherent especially because you know seasons last years and it's really hard to keep track of all that now, when you say, especially when you, you say don't see somebody very much, right? <laughs> when you say seasons last years, you mean seasons like winter and summer and not seasons of the television show? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I mean, you know, geographical seasons, not seasons of the television show. <laughs> yeah, so so John meets Mance, uh, which is, uh, you know, obviously showing that John sort of knows what he's doing and parlaying with Mance. He, he, he isn't immediately killed. He's... He goes and visits Mance Raider, who asks him lots of questions about his betrayal of <laughs> of of his. I thought you were betraying them for us, but you also betrayed us. How was I to know that? Well, it seemed to me like Mance was more interested in getting all the details of the Jon Snow Egret romance. <laughs> Did she kill you? Did you kill her? Did somebody else kill her for you? I guess that's Westeros' only real form of gossip. Who killed whom? He is yeah. a bit of a shipper. <laughs> 
for John and Egret. Uh, it's true, although uh, I, that was a nice. I thought that was a nice moment that he lets John know uh, that it was obvious that she loved him, and he's feeling really bad because she's dead. And I thought that was. I thought that was a perfectly nice moment. And I, I what I really like about this scene is Mance uh, turning the tables on John a little bit, and and essentially saying, "Look." We just need to come through. I don't want to kill any more of our guys. You got to let us through. There's bad stuff up here, and we got to get south of the wall, which is nice and all, but you know, it's still an army <laughs> that is at the, at the at a border, and you know, saying no, 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 just let us in, and it'll be fine. It's a it's a very difficult situation to be in. At the same time, faced with fifty guys and this army. Um, you know, it, it's not a bad offer in that way to not fight because you don't have any guys to fight with. Well, I don't think anybody think really a... believes those bald assassin uh, cannibal guys are just going to integrate into society smoothly. I mean, that makes sense, but I feel like what that scene really did for me, that's a, another one of those reminders that there's something else out there, always something more. Like, uh, regardless of anything that happens at the wall between the wildlings and the uh, castle black people, there's always going to be White Walkers. There's always going to be, uh, you know, Daenerys with her dragons across the sea. Regardless of anything else, there's something that the wildlings are scared of. and They need, they need to get through the wall to be safe from it. And, you know, even though they spent the entire last episode fighting, you know, they spent, you know, all 55 minutes there. They uh, still needed a place to hide alongside the uh, Castle Black Night's Watch people. So I thought that was a little bit uh, chilling. You know, what are they running from? So why? I, I See, here's the thing that I don't understand about this this whole story. And maybe it's just been going on so long that I missed it. But why <laughs> is it that, that Mance... Eh, why why would they if the if the point of going south is truly just to get away from like the white walkers and stuff because winter's coming and it's going to be bad why would they not is it is it pride why would they not just go to the wall and send us uh, send somebody over with a white flag to say look we need uh, we let us in well i think that's because historically the wall was put up to keep them protect out. people from the white walkers and the giants and stuff Right. But over time, now the wall is there to protect people from the wildlings. So if the wildlings show up and say, hey, it's really the zombies you got to watch out for. We're, we're human like you. Let us in. That's the people in the Night's Watch no longer believe that. Right, right. So it's it, it might be a little pride on Mance's part of like he's rallying the troops and he's giving them something to do. But it's also a lack of trust that, that these guys are... Are, we don't trust the wildlings. Why would we let them into our lands at all? Uh, and besides which, they look like an army to me. So they're gonna. If we let them in, they're just gonna start killing people. And they probably will. Sure. I mean, they're what they they're, they don't bend the knee. They're free folk. They're gonna yeah. kill who they want. They killed everyone in that one town a few episodes back. You know, they have no restraint whatsoever. Yeah. Exactly. They shave their heads. You can't trust people like that. <laughs> oh, the Baldies. Well, they eat people. They're really problematic. And the giants, you know, it's like, let me in, big giant. Like, no, you can barely fit in the tunnel. Those giants have massive beards, too. If the uh, hair to, uh, you know, evilness ratio with the shaved heads is uh, is there, then what does that say about the giants with all those beards? Giant you know, person. Who knows? <laughs> giant beard. It's all happening. <laughs> but this is all irrelevant because even as they talk, <laughs> 
uh, in, uh, somebody comes. Dur, 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 there's an army that appears, and uh, we for a while. I think if you're not paying very close attention or haven't you know read the books, you don't know <laughs> where did this army come from. And of course, it's Stannis because cleverly placed in the previously is Melisandre saying, "Forget about all this stuff. The important things are happening to the north." That was a hint, folks. That yeah, there were a lot of previously's this episode. Yes. I do not think. This was actually a longer than 60 minute episode. I think it just took extra time on the TiVo because <laughs> there were so many previously. They had to remind you about Arya and her coin. They had to remind you about who Stannis is. Right. Remember it didn't him? really make sense to me. It didn't really make sense to me the fact that, you know, they have to remind someone that all this stuff, you know, happened in all these previous episodes just because this is such a, I'd say, smart show. There's so much going on. And I feel like the audience can keep track of that without all of these previouslys. And it does waste time. I do agree with you, Monty. I'm well, sure. they're, they're usually shooting for 50 minutes or whatever it is. So they've got some time to spend. I think here they, they definitely needed. And th- those don't even run on HBO Go, right? Do they? Do, I think they don't even run the previous. I think there's an, they don't, thank God. I think there's an option, too, if you're really into uh, that. All right. That's nice. Nice. It's an extra. How sweet of I've got to say, synchronized horsebacking, horseback riding really should be an Olympic sport. Like, they had their stuff down. They really made it look beautiful from those aerial shots. And I know that was all CGI, but, I mean, that was really incredible to see. And I thought they were the... Um, I thought they were the Greyjoys coming in. I thought I saw the um, I saw I thought I saw their sigil on the flags, but no. And it turned out it was the uh, it was the Baratheons, which that was a huge surprise for me. Yeah, that's a sign yeah. of a good king, by the way, is a quality horsemanship. You don't get yeah. that with like ragtag uh, bands, but but kings armies they got the horses all in rows and flags flying, and that's a sign of quality. There was a yeah, point where they I- had two different uh, like sects running into each other and weaving between you know mm-hmm. ranks. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, I like that overhead shot because it showed you not only is a huge force attacking, but a huge organized force is attacking. Right, and and, and they- it's very clear that it, from the Wildings' perspective, it's like, well, crap. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> we were not we expected those fifty guys that are stupid black brothers of the United's Watch and these guys have like shiny armor and stuff. We're doomed. Good luck uh, to so those did co- John. That was the thing. I thought, you know, I was scared for him when yeah. he said, Oh no, we're not gonna attack you and then, you know, these hundreds of guys come in that he had no idea was coming. Yeah, and he said, No, you're right. It was just fifty of us. You're right. It's not yeah. us. I don't know what it is. Don't kill <laughs> those me. couple hundred guys who are off climbing the wall are going to be really surprised. Yeah. Yeah, they may have to, you know, who knows? They'll call them back. They'll send some scouts yeah. out. But They uh, need Inigo Montoya up at the top to mm. uh, offer them a rope. <laughs> the, the, uh, I like that, though, that Stannis, Stannis pops up. Finally, Stannis is doing something. He lost all those sailors in the Blackwater, but apparently he's still got some ground troops that he can get around. And, and uh, it's nice to see Stannis kind of taking some action. And also, this is, you know, from the larger story perspective, what, what Melisandre told him earlier is, is true because we've seen the White Walkers. There was definitely the sense from the first scene of this show that there was a greater peril to humanity that is coming with the winter. And so having her say, you know, forget about all of this petty stuff down here, go to the north, not only is the north kind of up for grabs in a way that maybe – uh, you know, around King's Landing, it's not. But there's this larger purpose, which is the the uh, the the truth the, the the truth of the White Walkers and the Whites and all of that. Which I also love that moment that that uh, John says, you know, my father would tell you to burn the bodies because uh, you guys don't know what the rules up here. You got to burn the bodies. I think his father would have cut Mance's head off. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing is, what would your father have done? And I'm th- sitting there thinking, well, yeah, Ned Stark was honorable, but he also made a lot of decisions that were probably bad in the long run and, and got him killed. Um, but the first thing we, we see is is him honorably cutting somebody's head off. So yeah, maybe so. Is this, you know, or, or is it your dad, what would, would your dad now, having had his head cut off himself, not want to do stuff like that anymore? Yeah, it's kind mm. of existential. <laughs> anyway, to me, that was a bizarre moment just because I completely forgot that he was Ned Stark's son. You know, this whole time, you know, oh, yeah. they had never been in the same region for more than maybe two out three episodes. So here I am thinking, wait, oh my God, that's right. He is his son. And then there's that weird moment. What would your father do? And that said a lot about his character, just the fact that he was like, okay, I'm going to say that he did this, even though, I mean, for the whole run of the show, they were never really together. So for me, that was a strange, very strange moment. No, this is, this is a. Uh... Getting Stannis at the wall is a lot of fun because this is a character who's been off doing his own thing in all of these other places. And all of a sudden, you know, Stannis and Melisandre and and the Onion Knight are there in the snow. (laughs) And it's like, whoa, wait a second. They are on the same show after all. Again, my favorite thing on this show is when two storylines happen to meet up. Yes. And there's more of that coming in this episode, too, which is which is a lot of fun. That's going to be a fantastic. Oh god! <laughs> now, now you mentioned the Princess Bride, Brian. Um, the next scene involves uh, the Mountain, who is dying, but it turns oh, out he's only Manticore mostly venom. dead, <laughs> which means partially alive. So, so, are there Manticores in Game of Thrones? He's dying know. of Manticore venom. Yeah, there must be Manticores then, or or mm-hmm. at least venom that they named after the mythical Manticore. That could <sighs> also be. But he's so he's been poisoned and and uh, it's funny because I think there's nothing f- uh, funnier in this show than a Grandmeister Pycelle being useless and told to go away, <laughs> which is what we get here. It's like no 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 we got to do this and we got to do that and he's 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 gone for and Cersei's like yeah get out beat yeah. it. Yeah, he goes with what is literally his only prescription ever: milk of the poppy. Yeah, let's just drug <laughs> him, him up comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, so instead we get this f- really kind of funny moment, and I'd f- I I had forgotten all of this from the from the books entirely. But it's that funny moment where where uh, the guy the 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 guy who got thrown out from being a meister says, "Well, he's yeah, I can do some things, but he's not going to be the same." And the, Cersei doesn't really care about the mountain's humanity or anything like that. And she's like, "Do whatever." Yeah. The process may change him yeah. into a different actor. Yeah, <laughs> again, <laughs> that guy's been more than more actors than Doctor Who. The mountain has. Um, so then we get Cersei uh, and a scene with uh, with her father, where yes. it's again we're back to she really doesn't want to marry the uh, the Knight of Flowers, and uh, and is gonna fight well, a tooth me... and nail. Loras Tyrell is not the Knight of Flowers. No, those are two different guys. Loras oh, Tyrell. No, Loras Tyrell, I believe, is the one who was making out with the Knight of Flowers. No, I think that I think Loras Tyrell is the Knight oh, of Flowers, isn't he? Might be the worst yeah, he's person. the Knight of Flowers. Okay, I'm the worst. Yeah. Well All that's right. okay, Monty. Every week you have something new to be the worst about. <laughs> this will be yours for this time. Yeah, no, he's the guy who's making out with the guy who's making right. out with the Knight right. of Flowers. Oh, um, there's way too many titles in this show. There's that moment later with Daenerys where she rambles on for maybe five minutes with all of her titles. Like, oh come on. Renly's boyfriend. If you remember Renly, right. Stannis's brother. Yeah, that's who. Um and and uh, so she doesn't want to do it, and she talks about defending Toman. And one of her one of her ways that she defends Toman is by saying that she was going to poison him. <laughs> wow, you got to say this for seriously. She commits, and she really does seem to care a lot about her children. And and she commits and else. should be committed. Mm. <laughs> 
She's so determined not to marry Loris, she says she'll burn the house to the ground. But what she really means is just tell everybody she had sex with her brother. Right, right. Which, in the eyes of uh, Tywin, is burning the house to the ground. It's all about the legacy for him. Well, th- this is a funny thing. She she says, you know, do you even know? And it's a good question about about Tywin Lannister. Is he is his he seems so aware of everything. Is his pride something that gets in the way here, or does he simply know that the Lannisters don't have any claim on the throne? If people know that the that these children are not the children of Robert Baratheon, because at that point their their claim to the throne is completely gone, and you know by all rights it's either Stannis or you could argue like you know one of the one like the 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 Gendry. <laughs> well, I think they have the same claim to the throne that Robert did, which is they took it. Sure. And they have somebody sitting on it. Sure, but you know, the, the, this is the challenge. Is I think it would be a bad PR move if everybody knew for certain that these kids were the product of of incest and weren't uh, children of the king and all of that. I think it would be a bad uh, bad PR move. They might still be able to hold on to power, but you feel. I just think it's an interesting question about how much of this is stuff that that Tywin allows himself to believe, and how much of it is just so inconvenient that he doesn't bother believing it or even thinking about it because it's 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 not an acceptable outcome so he's just not going to think about it and i and there's no clear answer right i mean it's not like he says yes i knew he doesn't do that he just you know (laughs) is not gonna put up with cersei's crap i like to think that it's some kind of really 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 deep form of denial where he acknowledges it but his brain will literally shut it out and will not let him you know commit it to memory or like have it written in whatever memory pages he has in his brain like he his brain actively pushes it out as a way to keep it like keep his sanity and keep his family line intact yeah at first i thought he was daring cersei to say it but then I think she did too, right? And she's yeah. Like, oh wait, you really don't even believe it. Do, would you <laughs> it, really not know? You you wait, know seriously? what I'm threatening you with, right? Right. right? <laughs> well, that's not. It was true. weird to see Tywin at such a you know low point and have him mm-hmm. not know exactly what was going on. He'll be lower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but yes, at this point, it is it is like the real crack in the armor of uh, of Tywin Lannister, where where this is his. You know, his children are his weakness. He's got all this great plotting, but the fact is, he, you know, with with Tyrion um, and him hating Tyrion, with uh, with Jaime and Cersei uh, being incestuous with one another, it's like you he can plan and be as as clever a politician, and he's come really far, and he's the hand of the king and all of that. But the fact is, you know, his children are a complication and a problem for him that he kind of can't control. So. It's fascinating to see him kind of laid low first off in it, but you know by his daughter and then you know later by his two sons, <laughs> yeah. including a pretty serious by Tyrion. And I, I mean, that I makes like sense, that. But go ahead. That makes sense. But shouldn't his children be something he can control, like the thing he should have the most control over? I really like to think that, you know, Tywin's this big, powerful guy, the richest man in Westeros. But, you know, then he's brought to his death, literally, later, by his children. And his uh, children are the thing that really, you know, starts to ruin him. But they're his offspring. They're his family. He should be able to, if not, you know, reason with them or have them on his side, then at least control them in some manipulative Lannister way. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I think that's a really fantastic, bizarre character trait, character flaw. Yeah, you know, you could write a whole uh, 
uh, paper about the the contrast here because is it because he was too busy minding the Lannister Empire to participate in the proper raising of them? I mean, also remember they they didn't have a mother after Tyrion was born. So the, who were the, you know who did he have raising the kids and how participatory you know was he in their childhood and and he you know you, you feel like on this Father's Day, <laughs> Happy Father's Day, Tywin oh. Lannister. Um, you feel like he paid he paid for it, right? He paid he paid. Um, dearly in the end, but that you know his children were his flaw, and he didn't have control over them. Although he tried and, and managed it for a while. And compare him to Ned Stark, where you, just in this episode alone, you have Jon Snow thinking, "What would my father have done?" And you've got Arya still thinking about all of her family members, most of whom are dead. Right. So I feel like the Starks, although they are losing the overall war. They're still a much more closer-knit family than the Lannisters, even though the Lannisters are physically closer to each other, especially in the case of Jaime and Cersei on that history table. Yes. Yeah, I mm. I, I thought that would be a good... Uh... That, that was a good a good excuse if somebody comes in and is like, hey, we're looking at maps here, okay? <laughs> Got some maps that we're checking out. That That, I mean, Jaime and Cersei... That scene, on one level, I, I'm I, I like Jamie enough at this point that I, I um I don't like to see her with him because I'm like, no, you're better than her. You get over her. She's awful. But uh, he seems to not be able to resist. Although at the same time, she is committed to killing Tyrion, and he's not going to let that happen. So he seems on, on on that level. I guess he he loves both of his siblings, not equally, <laughs> not in the same way. No. But, you know, it's not as if he's just sort of like, oh, seriously, you're so great. I'm going to just do whatever you want because that's not what he does. See, I wasn't bitten by the Jamie Lannister bug last season when he had his whole journey with Brienne and everyone started to feel sympathy for him. At this point, I'm really starting to lump him together with Cersei. Mm. I'm not a fan of what he's doing, and I'm honestly just rooting for Tyrion to get the heck out of there. And uh, right, but then in but, the end, he does. But then he frees Tyrion, right? So it's just, I mean, what a what a frustrating character, right? Because you're trying to pin him <laughs> down and say he's this or he's that, and it's like, well, here in this scene, he is totally. Uh, you know, in in the thrall, or seems to be totally in the thrall of Cersei. But then later, we uh, we it's very clear that uh, he's doing exactly what she doesn't want. Mm. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. And I also love symbolically the fact that he pushed back like the family lineage history book in order to have sex with Cersei <laughs> on the table. Like that was like a cool little oh, you know, f this history, we're gonna make our own thing. Also, it's it it's her rebellion continuing against her father, right? Where it's like, what if somebody sees and she's like, I don't care, which is not cold and calculating. It shows that she's, um, and, and you know, her, she's lost control. She's lost control of Toman because of Marjorie, and uh, she's not happy that Marcella has been taken off to Dorne, and so she's lost control of that. And so now she's going getting increasingly out of control. This is this is definitely Cersei kind of falling apart. I think. There was a point a few episodes ago where I wasn't entirely sure how calculating Cersei was. You know, she was, I think it was her talking to Marjorie after, you know, something involving Tom and his, uh, you know, crowning or whatever. But I feel like at this point she is definitely losing all control. She's definitely, you know, in a much less calculating, a lot, a much less conniving, uh, you know, style of Cersei. She's there trying to deal with the fact, you no, know, she is a mother. She did lose her son. She is losing her other son to marriage. And there's a point where, you know, 
I feel like this is the ultimate low point for Cersei. Yeah, she's she's in bad shape here. Um, sorry, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's you know he's he's a he's a safe kind of home base for her but um she's obviously a wreck right now yeah things are not going her way no and she's going to be really irritated tomorrow morning yeah that's <laughs> going to be a bad wake up call let me tell you so uh let's move let's move to the east where we get some more scenes of uh of Daenerys um, learning that there that you can't just kind of like roll over a city and then move on to the next city. If you stick around, you get to see for yourself all the consequences of your actions. And she gets to visit with a couple of her subjects again, which we saw, I think, two weeks ago that that's not fun. But she does it. She seems to be committed to listening to her subjects. And so she listens to a, a, a teacher who is a former slave and then a uh, another gentleman who has a bundle of something. Mm. Mm. Yeah, what do you think? That was a painful, like, jumping ahead to the bundle of something. That was really painful just because, (laughs) you know, he walks in, you know, you're like, oh, I wonder what this is. He's sobbing. He can't speak the language. And, oh, charred bones. And he was outside holding this bundle for hours, you imagine, right? I I said to my wife, "Uh uh-oh, the dragon's killed another goat. And I was like, no, not a goat Uh, this time. Now it's a child. Slightly more valuable. Escalation of dragon killing. And. Given that, I still felt bad about her locking the dragons up. Like, I kind of feel that now she's keeping slaves. Yeah, and and those dragons are not the ones who burned the the burned the thing, right? She's doing the preemptive locking up of those dragons because the 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 black dragon is the one, the big one is yeah. the Drogon. Is that right? Drogon, yes, is the not one that, that's that's out there, you know roasting his own goats and things like that that's so but she's got the other two in hand and so she's going to chain them up which is sad those are those are her her babies right and they're also her claim to fame but it, it, it's an admission for her talking about talking about Circe this is this is an admission to Daenerys that they're out of her control yes she's having problems with her own children mm. having problems with her children she's the having children problems with her you city. say Ooh. yes I think I sense a theme here, Monty. <laughs> well, Spot. We shouldn't get. What... We should talk about the title yet, though. That's a thing you guys do at the end. That we the <laughs> tradition you started. We should probably wait for that. But I'm just pointing out more children, more problems. I I like the thing with the 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 uh, the homeless uh, slave te- uh, teacher guy that that where he says there now there is only fear and squalor. The idea that she didn't just stop this economy that uh, exploited slaves. She also stopped this economy and the the life of these people and that you know he 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 wants just wants to teach now i don't know why i guess the idea is that the ma- his former master is afraid to have him there and say he's an employee or a contractor or something for fear that he'll be found out as still holding slaves but um you know uh, so she basically like fine you can you can have a one year contract and that's it. that's her her answer but it shows it shows that she hasn't really the simple answer isn't good enough she hasn't really thought this through yeah. We don't see any scenes of the city when we visit Daenerys. It's all her inside her chamber or the Unsullied and that weird you know, romantic storyline from last week. But the thing is, you know, we don't see the city that everyone's coming into her to tell her about. And I kind of wish we could on one hand, but on the other hand, I feel like it makes it much more personal. And you can see her starting to fall apart. Like I have in my notes, uh, she sounds like an Apple tech support guy with a script of things. Oh, I did this and you can live your life like this now. All of these great idealistic, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, I have freed you all from your chains and now the masters will be the slaves. And she's there trying to spout this out and it's not connecting as this homeless guy shows. You know, he's scared for his life just because of everything she's done. And she's starting to be so unsure of herself that she has to resort to these, you know, idioms that she keeps rehashing. And uh, like an Apple tech support guy, she has to say, okay, these are the rules. Please follow them this way so that we can make this a good city. K, thanks. Bye. Who's Have you next? turned it off and on? Uh, did you buy Apple Care? <laughs> did you buy Dragon Care? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it, I I like the, I like the detail because it's just it's just piling on. At the same time, I feel like it's essentially the scene we had two weeks ago replayed with the stakes slightly higher. Yeah, I'd like to see her. I would have liked to see her take one case where she says, nope, too bad for you. Get out of my sight. Yeah. Yeah. And instead it's just the, it's, it's what we, what we've seen. And, and this is a problem with Daenerys having read the books um, and with some of the other characters here that the producers have to deal with and, and that uh, they can try to manufacture some things, but you know, Daenerys's story sort of, um, in the in the book, A Storm of Swords, when she declares dramatically, as she did at the end of an episode a few weeks ago, that I'm going to stay here and rule, That's I think that's the last we see of her in the book. And so here they're kind of like echoes of that and all, but they don't have a lot to do with her, but they, they don't want to go. And so they, they spent extra time setting up her chaining up the dragons and stuff. But I do feel like we've seen these scenes before with Daenerys and that they're treading water here a little bit. Other than a the little dragon like chaining. this... It's a little like the scenes they added with Theon, except not as gross. Well, that's true. (laughs) That's true. There's torture scenes, and then there's audience with the queen scenes, which are, you know, not not quite the same. Um, Let's see. Back at the wall, they're burning the bodies. And uh, and this is actually where we got the uh, did you love her, she loved you scene with Mance, which I really liked. Uh, I disagree with that. That's not how my notes show. No, no he only talks no, to that's Tormund get, here. Um, yeah, that's when he talked to him. And there's oh that, yeah, you, uh, no, you're right. Where, you're right. This yeah, is the dead the, can't hear us. The dead can't hear us. Oh yeah, you're right. More yeah, more Tormund, lessons from the Wildings. Tormund doesn't care about funerals because the dead don't matter. Yeah. I, except Egret, you should take her back north. Burn her there. Yeah, yeah, just for your own sake, I think more than anything else. Yeah, but that was one of my nice favorite things about the moment. One of my favorite things about Game of Thrones is how there's those culture clash moments where these cultures and different areas of Westeros, they're completely made up by George R.R. Martin. They come together in these ways that really have some weird, profound meaning, like when uh, they say, oh, how do you pray for your dead? Oh, it doesn't matter. The dead can't hear us. Like, I thought that was an awesome moment, even though it was completely, uh, you know, manufactured. Yeah. Yeah, I I really like that. That, that, That's his uh kind of nihilistic uh philosophy and and it, it, in contrast with the you know many many gods of the of the southerners um you know he he's just like well eh, whatever dead can't hear words aren't going to do you any good just this unadorned uh philosophy that that he's got um plus he's you know feeling really crappy because he's a prisoner in <laughs> castle black was it this episode or last episode where he's flailing around, oh, I'm going to kill all of you? No, no, stop. Let's oh. put him in chains. No, let me kill you. That was the last episode. Yeah, the end uh, of the last episode. Yeah. After he spent the entire episode just rampaging through Castle Black, killing people. Yeah. Then they caught him and said, stop yeah. you. 
So speaking uh, of um, speaking of padding storylines to make them work for entire seasons, I feel like that is Brand's brand, fate for uh, most of the past two seasons. Brand's, brand, yes, Brand's storyline kind of doesn't have anything that happens until uh, this scene, this the, the scenes that he gets in this episode. Yeah. Right? He gets he gets the um, he gets the whole like we've arrived at the tree, which is really exciting because I saw it in my vision. And then they've got the uh, they've got the kind of snow field, and then the 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 skeletons and dead bodies and stuff start coming out of it. And there's a whole exciting action scene, which is nice. And actually, it was one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, memories of these books. But um, he it took us boy, it took us a long time to to get them here. Yeah, and even though it took a long time to get here, I still don't really feel like I know how far north of the wall they are. Like, right, right, because we left them, and then they were just trudging through the snow, and and they and like like uh, Frodo and Sam and Lord of the Rings, they they did a bunch of diversions, and then you know they got kind of like we'll go over here, and then we'll go back over there, so uh, it's a little bit unclear about about where where exactly they are, but they've reached their destination yeah. now, and we we see the um you know we get we get uh, him taking control of Hodor yeah. and doing some crazy you know crazy stuff with hodor hodor is a uh, a powerful weapon when used by a brain that is not hodor's i am so glad that that actor finally has something to do beyond saying hodor because he, he seems like such a cool guy from you know re- yeah. interviews and things i've read but you know all he gets to do is carry brand around and say hodor at least he gets a few action scenes here and there he's great at saying hodor though yeah you mm. gotta admit easily top better. 10 yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, Monty, not as generous as me. He's one among the best people who says Hodor around. So you know that that's pretty cool. All and they and uh, Direwolf comes in handy in this situation too. Well, I was a real big fan of this scene just because I watched the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad as a youth, right? And Ray Harryhausen <laughs> conditioned me to really like skeletons with swords. Yeah, and these skeletons looked great. Yeah. Yeah, I really million dollars per episode. They better look great. I really possibly for that final one that was just stabbing Jojen with its arm. Yeah, that looked a little goofy. That was like a little practical skeleton just stuck into the snow to (laughs) the stabbing skeleton with like a little servo in there somewhere, just kind of yeah, keep stabbing him. (laughs) We want this actor to not be on the show anymore, so (laughs) he's gone. But that was a that was a, a, a cool thing. Although my memory like I said, of this scene in the book is so strong that I'm actually kind of disappointed that although it was cool, I felt like really that's the, that's all we're devoting to this thing. Cause it was, I think a much more complicated but kind it of had scene ambulatory skeletons and fireballs. And it stuff. was pretty awesome. That's true. It was awesome. But I mean, you know, Jason, I haven't read the books and I wish I did just so I can compare this, but I feel like this is a scene that they did reduce a little bit. You know, this is the, first jump scare i've seen in game of thrones you know you mentioned uh, uh ray harryhausen they uh, brought that back to that kind of 50s you know schlocky kind of extended sequence <gasps> of fighting you. and i thought it was cool but you know it was i feel like there was a lot more significance to it especially because i feel like they rushed the uh the conclusion to this storyline for this season which we can talk about in a minute i, I feel like they um i don't know exactly what i'm looking for here perhaps a uh, perhaps a, a 
having it be a couple scenes. Perhaps perhaps maybe it's just more tactics. Like I felt it happened so suddenly and you were just getting a sense of sort of what the geography was and it just it happened very quickly and I, I felt like it, it the scope could have been a little bit bigger in terms of where is everybody and what's the plan and then, you know, finding out that they're kind of screwed and then having the 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 children come to their rescue with their fireballs and stuff. But that said, it was really an exciting fun fun scene. Um I also would have liked maybe I don't know, a little bit more. I really like the fact that they have to slowly figure out in the books, they slowly figure out that there are dead bodies in the ground that people who froze to death. But of course, after they're dead, they don't die and they can come back. And instead, it's more like, whoa, there are skeletons here. Let's kill them before they kill us. Yeah, the show likes to throw things at you there like, oh, guess what? This entire time they've been skeletons. But it doesn't really feel that out of place just because this world is so like consistently inconsistent um ben Wu in the chat room by the way points out is uh also interesting is this scene actually is not in a storm of swords it's in a dance with dragons so they've actually really moved the time scale around to get anything to happen with bran (laughs) (laughs) so well you you have to do these scenes while the guy who plays bran still kind of looks like a kid (laughs) kind of looks like that kid from four years ago yeah, but still, skeletons so does this mean we're and fireballs, magic fireballs. Does this mean we don't get anything with Bran for the next what, like four seasons? No, I think I think they are gonna have to figure out some things for Bran to do that are maybe you know maybe in that one book or. But I, I think Bran is consigned to being one of those guys who's gonna be like in four scenes every year until they end the show. Or until he becomes, until his plot thread becomes important again. Until he pays off a million years from now. Right, when he's an old man and sitting in a, sitting in a cave somewhere in the north going, now it's my time to strike. He has a puppy named Hodor. Yep. Yep. All the trees and all the land say Hodor. That's what the children's (laughs) lesson to you. Well, he, he does learn. He will, he will not walk again, but he will fly says the guy who is apparently the three-eyed crow uh, and these children which i think have been referenced before and in the books are referenced as being like they were there before the first men came to westeros and <laughs> it's just confusing yeah yeah and they're like the, they're like the little tree people and i think they had the they had the the their their gods are the old gods and i don't know it's it is a little confusing but they've got some mythology and stuff that they can deal with next season but not with jojen cuz he is dead cuz he got de- killed by the stabby skeleton all right, skeletons can't follow now, us. That was a cool scene, by the way. That they're they're protected in the caves, so so you know they're coming really close to them as they're running into the caves. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to bar the door? Is there something you can you fall back on all that? And the answer is nope. Once we're inside the cave, they just like break apart into bones when they try to come in. This scene ramped things up really really fast because the first thing you see is oh okay there's uh, skeletons fighting you okay I, mean, I guess that makes sense you know you're in the north there's mythical things here happening so skeletons okay I'll buy it okay now there are fireballs um uh, that's bizarre okay now little children all right what is happening and then the icing on the cake is you know a force field which i haven't seen in anything (laughs) beyond you know little kids saying no 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 there's a force field here like i thought that was way too like a bit too far this this is the this is the scene that says look this is magic this is where we're going with this part of the story this is all about the magical stuff and so there's these weird people who are not humans that are the children and they they've got magic fireballs and there are murderous skeletons and there's a force field or something around this cave and 
you know, this is that moment of like, yes, this is the show you're watching. This, well, you'd think this, so, this, but Melisandre had that smoke baby. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, but she hasn't few, done much since then. They're few and far between, right? And so this is one of those where you get the scene where you're like, whoa, okay, there's crazy magic happening now. And I actually like that in the series and in the books that instead of it being like, it's all about the magic, it's like scheming of humans. And then every now and then something magical happens and you go, whoa, wait a second, I forgot there was magic. And then you're reminded. I like that. Um, let's see. So Bran has his little. He, he we oh we learned that Jojen knew he was going to die. Um, getting him there, and it's a nice sacrifice for him. See you later. Pick up your check. And uh, <laughs> but they fireball him so he can't come back as a as a white, which was very kind of them. Uh, and then he gets his little check in with a three eyed crow who says he'll fly, and that's it. That's it for him. Um, and the children. And then we move to Sansa and Brienne. Arya and Brienne. Oh, sorry. Arya and Brienne. We don't see Sansa. Sansa's hanging out at the Eerie. Yeah. Arya and, and Br- Brienne. Yeah. And Podrick and the Hound. And again, Podrick's knowledge of who people are comes in handy. Because it's possible that if he hadn't said, oh, that's the Hound. Right. <laughs> that this all wouldn't have happened. Um, and, and, and very differently. Yeah, that was really well. First, it's really enjoyable that Arya and Brienne um, are in the same scene because, yeah. to Andy's point, it's like, hey, they are on the same show. And then Podrick has that nice moment where he's like, but, um, huh, hmm, <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> that's the hound. Yeah. And then it all and kind of unravels, you know, you're, just you're a, Arya Stark. For just a second, you think Arya is going to get a new role model and Brienne would be great for that? Yeah. They they trade stories about their swords and they share their names of their swords and it's pretty cool. Talk about what it's like being a girl wanting to fight. Yeah, and this is this is we should say for for those who haven't read the books like you, Brian. This is an invented mm-hmm. scene. This is this is a case where they're taking things that are really cool. Wouldn't it be cool if they met? And they need to give Brienne something to do, so they put these kind of things together, and you end up with this really awesome scene that's not in the books. So yeah. I, I was really happy to see it because I, also I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, well, that was a great fight. Yeah, I love the way it started off with swords. And then just degenerated into brutality. They went reservoir dogs on this and yeah. bit off his ear. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> also, the I like I like the I'm no you know I'm no knight, which is the whole point is neither of these people are knights. Yeah. Neither like, of them are. Huh. Right after he, he tried to be, up, but then it dissolves into brutality. Yeah. Yeah. Right after he brings up the fact that he's not a knight, she punches him in the crotch, which I believe is probably the first move that her father taught her. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Mm. They're, they're, and then that's a nice. Uh, a nice little exchange <laughs> there yeah. of, well, you're going to kick me there. I'm going to kick you here. Yeah. Oh, one thing I really like. One thing I really liked about this fight is that I have this theory that there is a special tier of the best fighters in Westeros because at the tourney of the hand way back in season one, the top four were Loris Tyrell who beat the mountain through having a mayor that was in heat and Jamie Lannister, who lost to the Hound. Right. And then we didn't really see a definitive finish between Loris and the Hound, because Loris uh, conceded. But that still established those four are the best fighters. Right. And then later at Renly's little uh, encampment, he had that big grand melee, and at the end of that, Brienne defeated Loras. Right. Mm-hmm. So that established that Brienne is a tier one fighter, 
and I was really curious to see what would happen if she fought one of the other tier one fighters, and it happened, and it was great. Yeah, she she gets the belt now. She is the number one fighter in Westeros. Yeah, the mountain's out and Jamie's out, and Oberyn was apparently of that quality, but too talky, so he's out. Yeah. Well, now, you know, going back to the fact that this was an invented scene, not in the book, I feel like this scene was relatively inconsequential. I mean, yes, you know, the hound dies, but <laughs> that, that's a consequence. <laughs> that's hound a pretty dies, big consequence. And Arya escapes. Yeah, I, I not... watched this. I watched this episode with a book reader, and he told me that the hound died some other way in the books. Is that? Mm? Yeah. Well, he. I mean, there. He's. He gets in a fight and is is wounded and yeah. is going you to remember, die. You remember the scene right when they were walking up to the bloody gate? He kept itching his neck and saying, "This isn't healing." I expected mm. that to kill him. Yeah, because he he does die of an infection and and. And uh, so they they really just kind of put the two things together and said, wouldn't it be better if he got in a fight with a with a character we know instead of having a character we know not doing anything while you know this other scene happens? And so they put them together, and we have uh, you know Bran and the Hound, which I thought you know I, I really liked it. I was quite happy that this is this is was a nice innovation that they put these two characters together. And of course, then she's obsessed with her you know her promise. Uh, to to Arya's mom, right to Catelyn, that that I'm going to bring you back, and I do love the that the fact that she's so honorable, and that the Hound, like like um like the guy at the wall who's talking to Jon Snow, the Hound's like, where are you going to take her? There's no place that's safe. Everybody's dead. Yeah, Winterfell's a, a ruin. Her aunt's dead now. Her mother's dead. Her father's dead. Her brother's dead. Where are you going to take her? Even if you can pick up this quest, there's no try. And, and from the Hound, it's like, believe me. If I could figure out somewhere to take her, I would. There's nowhere to take this girl. For all that talk, the Hound's plans, his all of his plans have also collapsed. So he's reduced to just saying, yeah, I'm looking after her now. She's not even a hostage anymore. Yeah. Those moments where they take stock of where all the Starks are. You know, he's dead, he's dead, she's dead. You know, everyone's dead. Winterfell's in ruins. That That's always a brutal moment for me. That happens a few times throughout each season. And it's like, ow. Okay, yeah. the people you fell in love with in the first season, they're all they're all gone, you know. That's that's just the way it is. But then you could see something flip inside Arya when, you know, they went through that and when the hounds there dying and he says, "Okay, okay, fine, kill me now." No, please please kill me now. You are walking away now. Please kill me. Yeah. Like that moment where she resigns to leave him there and, you know, she's so much stronger than there's a look in her face where you say, Wow, that's so different from even where she was at the beginning mm-hmm. of this season. Yeah, that's that moment where she really hardens her heart and decides that she's going to leave him and she's not going to give him that satisfaction of of death. And uh, she's going to take his bag of, of, uh, of coins and walk <laughs> away. It reminded me of a moment on Hannibal, which is always a good thing. Uh, on Hannibal, Lawrence Fishburne's wife is dying of cancer and she doesn't want to be kept alive and Hannibal watches her die and then revives her and in that moment it's the cruelest thing you can think of Uh. him doing even though he's Hannibal Lecter and has been (laughs) killing lots of people in hilarious ways is not killing someone right and just like that here Arya could kill somebody she really wants to kill but she's found a way to be even crueler to him by not killing him. Also, both of the Clegane boys now in bad shape. 
Oh, yeah. But we don't see either of them definitively die, which is interesting. They're both in bad shape, though. Um, I don't know. I feel like at this point in, you know, knowing Westeros and the fact that, you know, medicine is nowhere near you know, <laughs> where it is modern in modern times, you know, I'm pretty sure that the hound at least has uh, bitten the dust. I, I am, too. But I was pretty sure the mountain was going to bite the dust, too. And they, they're doing terrible things to him. But, yeah, if I had to put money on on the hound being dead, I would. It's just, you know, she doesn't kill him. She walks away. So, you know, we'll just have to in, in season 10, they'll, somebody will <laughs> run through that gully and they'll find like a, a, some bones and be like, ah, look. And oh, then that'll be fun. Pay off. Yeah, that'll be good. No one will be seated during the bone finding scene. Um, <laughs> let's move on to. I think we get to Tyrion's cell at this point. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 head back to to uh, King's Landing and Tyrion, dead man walking. Yeah, uh, I liked right at the beginning when Tyrion doesn't know who's opening the door. He calls him a son of a whore, and Jamie immediately says, "Is that any way to talk about mother?" <laughs> that Jamie, he's quippy. Oh, he is so quippy. Yeah, so it, it all, all happens pretty fast too. It's not, you know, I was expecting kind of like that scene where Tyrion is pacing, and there's a, a clock. Do they have clocks? Sundial, rooster crows, something like that, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm not going to get out of this. How am I going to get out of this? And instead, it's just like bang, door opens. You didn't think I was going to let you sit here, and off they go, which is uh. You know, it was it was surprising that it was so. Uh, it happened. It all happened so fast, and they're out in the, out in in the little uh, secret passageways. And uh, Jamie makes the interesting decision to tell Tyrion, uh, "Just go up that way, and you're free." I'm gonna go back to my room now. <laughs> yeah. What confused me was, you know, when he was walking down through the hallways, and he said Varys would be there. I didn't see Varys. I. I guess Tyrion disobeyed him and said, okay, now that I'm out, I'm going to go finish a few things. Yeah. And yeah. boy, did when, he. Yeah, yeah he, he stands down next... and, he, and he pivots and he's like, yeah, I got some stuff I'm going to do first. Yeah, he stands next to that torch and he's supposed to be going up these stairs. But then he says, well, I know a thing or two about the secret passages in this building. <laughs> and also the, uh, well, I was, was going to say he should know something about the room the hand sleeps in, but that doesn't look like the room he was sleeping in previous seasons, so... I don't know. They they this seems to be his his uh his hangout or something. Tyrion knows where he's going to be and obviously is going to see his father and uh which is interesting cuz you know there's there's a risk there that he's not going to make it. But you you know who knows whether Tyrion what what he's feeling about you know living versus dying and how miserable he is. But instead what he finds is Shay Shay calling Tywin her lion. A lion. Even. Oh, it hurts uh, so much. It's just that extra bit of hurt, right? Almost like that one point at the trial where she comes in and lies. This was almost as. Uh, oh, I think this is. I, I think this is worse. This yeah. is worse. This that could be arguably a betrayal because she doesn't have the power and she's afraid for her life and all of that. This is not. You know, this is is. I feel like such an emotional betrayal instead of a sort of tactical uh, political betrayal. And Ty Tyrion, obviously not a fan either. And <laughs> when she realizes who it is, she goes for a knife, which turns out to be a good idea. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Well, she's been around him a lot, right? She knows, she knows the score. Um, and so she grabs a knife and then that leads to them grappling and uh, he kills her. He strangles her with a gold chain. He does say, I'm sorry. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first time Tyrion has killed someone like on camera like this? No, he killed somebody with a shield. 
when they were leaving the Erie. Mm. He was, he was uh, right. Caitlin's prisoner, and they he were chopped a by bunch of people, people in the Blackwater, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Blackwater, right. Yeah, right. he chopped some people there. Using an axe, the traditional uh, weapon of the dwarves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this was definitely like a, such a powerful moment for him because it was definitely the most personal killing of any of those because, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it was, uh, I guess, his ex would be the wrong term. Like his old concubine lover thing. But, you know, that was such a harsh thing to have to kill her. And I thought the episode would end with this. This was such a shocking moment where, wow, okay, uh, yeah, that that just happened. But then, no, it goes even further. And I wonder what would have happened if he walked in and saw Tywin and not Shay? Because that, after killing Shay, was the moment he was able to grab a crossbow and go finish more business. Well, he was also, I would say, this is his, this is Tyrion's self-loathing happening here. Like, what makes him capable of killing her is not, I think, just anger. But I think it's self-loathing that she he feels now that this woman who he loved didn't love him and was manipulating him and all these things that he's believing, seeing her in in his father's bed and in a way that that makes him hate himself. And that makes him more capable, I think, of killing her because he feels that he's less worthy and, you know, less of a good person because because of that. I I feel like there's a whole lot of uh, of of torment and awfulness going on here with Tyrion that we see, which leads him to, to, to kill her. I mean, she does draw a knife, but you know, let's be honest. He is, he has strangled a naked woman, woman. He just woke up in her bed. It's brutal. Yeah. And then he goes and finds his father in the toilet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was, I think Tywin intended him saying, you're a Lannister, you're my son to be meaningful. But Tyrion didn't even register that. Yeah. Like, yep. this is Tywin saying anything to get out of being shot. Yeah, he's very convincing. But, you know, I, I, I Tyrion is just over the edge at that point. I mean, and, and, and you get the sense that maybe Tywin starts to realize it and, is, and is, is begging a little bit more after he says, oh, she's dead. You know, I, I, I killed her with my bare hands. That this is like, it's gone a little bit too far here. Yeah, Tywin says at one point, as though I would let my own son be executed. Well, you pronounced the sentence and you're not the one who's currently (laughs) freeing him. So I think you would. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a really believable statement. Was it? He's trying to, let's just go back to my chambers. We'll work it out. (laughs) Especially because Tyrion's been, you know, hearing that his entire life, you're my son, you're a Lannister. You know, that was just a way for Tywin to, again, going back to, uh, you know, his legacy. That was just a way for him to keep up his legacy and keep up the reputation of his family. At this point, Tyrion's not having it. He doesn't even register it. There's no way that you're my son, you're a Lannister is going to save him now. Well, uh, and I I don't know what the rules are about killing your father and all, but uh, he's, he's the since Jamie is ineligible, he's the, uh, he's the surviving heir. <laughs> yeah. Other than murder charges. And I don't know how that works in Westeros, whether you're kind of, it's okay to kill and replace the guy or whether you have to be more honorable about it, but he's blown up the house of Lannister for, for certain by doing this, which is his revenge against his father. It's not just killing his father, but it's blowing up his father's grand plans. Um, that, well, uh, yeah. Well, I don't know about that. They still have, Tommen is still the king. The king, sure. Uh, Cersei, probably not going to go get married to Loras at this point. Sure, but Tom, Tommen's uh, Baratheon, technically, right? Well, and what yeah. happens with the Lannisters? 
True. Unless Cersei comes out and says what she threatened to say, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll still reign. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's uh, obviously this is not what uh, Tywin was planning to be shot on the yeah. on the can. <laughs> you know who I really feel bad for is Varys. He probably had a plan. Yep. And this can't have been part of it. No, and and that that's a nice moment when uh, he when he finally uh, Tyrion finally goes to the to the. The, the boat in the in his box with little holes in it so you can see his pensive face and also it calls to mind when you put an animal in a box to ship yeah. them somewhere and then uh, Varys hears the bells ringing and he's like well crap okay I just will ride on the boat then <laughs> yeah time to go I home. wonder if he had known that if Tyrion had killed uh, Tywin and Shay would he have still brought him out to the ship or would he have said now hang on a second Tyrion what well, did had, you just do let's unpack this he make a, he made a statement right he was like what did you do and but it's like too late. He's sort of in on it now, and he takes him away anyway. Um, so he had he might have had some inkling that he did something horrible because he's like <laughs> got bl- tracking blood around with him. Well, sort of horrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. Fairly justifiable in sure. most yeah. people's eyes, I guess. Sure. And the he's question is always what Varys is. Uh, this is Varys's payoff for saying to him, um, you know, we won't forget that you saved this city, right? I mean, this is why. Why is Varys involved here? And we thought that he had he had kind of uh, betrayed him in the in the hearing, right? In the in the trial, but obviously this was, you know, this is the payoff here is that he's going to get work with Jamie and he's going to get him out. So sort of honorable from Varys, and he pays for it because he's going to have to ride a ride a boat now. <laughs> hey, someone else is riding boats. Yeah. Ooh. In contrast to the hound's claim, Arya just rides her horse all the way to the shore. She does not seem to have any trouble. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She just goes right there. She's learned how to stay out of trouble or something. Or maybe, you know, I think it's they were going to the there and coming back from the Erie, and there's probably like a quick cutover to just get to the water. Yeah. Which, you know. Yeah. And she wants to go north. Interesting. She says, I want to go north to the wall. Um, which I guess Jon Snow is there, so maybe that would be a thing she could do. I mean, she's got nowhere to go, so I yeah, guess... Yeah, that, that was one of their plans at one point. Yeah. Might as well go to the wall, yeah. Yeah, but that's not the deal, because instead they're going to Bravos, and she's got that coin, and she can say Valor Morghulis. And uh, that's the magic word. That means you get a cabin. Yeah, that guy seemed very impressed by that coin. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's not a... Mr. Changeyface gave her that coin. Yeah. And... Obviously, he was very impressive with his uh, magical assassin abilities. So he also did meaningful. not die on screen. Yes, no, he he went away. He disappeared. Who knows? Maybe he gave. Maybe Arya gave the coin to him in a different face. Well, yeah. we'll have to find out next time, but not this time because the last scene of the entire episode is her riding the boat and not declaring herself queen of the world. And very excitingly to me, there were lyrics being sung to the Game of Thrones theme song. Ah. Yes. I don't think they were in English, but they were something. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I found a link to a uh, to a video of the, you know, orchestral and choral performance of the uh, A. I, I think they threw in some Reigns of Castamere in there. Maybe that was an earlier scene. But B, they did a choral version of the Game of Thrones theme. And I listened to it. It wasn't in English, but it was incredible in the same way that one of the last episodes of Breaking Bad finally used the opening title of the show in the score for the show. Like, they were <laughs> able to throw in this bit of, like, this is a moment where it is worthy of the 
main theme for the entire show. Yeah. This is a moment that means something huge to the, to the entire show. And I feel like that's saying a lot just because this episode is full of things that they could have ended the, uh, you know, ended the show with in a drop the mic and walk away kind of thing. But no, they ended it with Arya getting on the boat and heading over to Bravos. What, what do you guys think about that? Um, I think she'll like it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Basically, we've got Tyrion and uh, and Arya headed out, leaving Westeros. They're on boats. They're going. They're going somewhere else. They're leaving this place behind, either by choice or because they're fleeing. By choice, they in a way. Uh, and they uh, that that's interesting. It also gives us the possibility, like Monty said, for some mixing up of storylines and crossing over with other parts of the of the tale now, because we've got some characters moving on to other locations from where they've been before. And that's exciting. So there's a lot of possibility for that next year, too. I feel bad for Brienne because Brienne now knows for a fact that Arya is somewhere around here, but yeah. she's not. She's going to a whole different continent. Yeah. Although Sansa's not that far away. So, True. you know, if she... But Brienne if, doesn't know that, does she? Unless she visits uh, the Vale, then she wouldn't know that. Right, and 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 they know that her aunt is is dead, so that's less intriguing now. It'll be interesting to see what Brienne does. But yeah, this is um, it's funny that you should mention there's so many things that they could have ended on here, Brian, because <laughs> um, the the book from which these two last two seasons are 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 taken, A Storm of Swords, ends with a an epilogue that is yet another mm-hmm. ending. And without going into any details of what's in there, I guess I could say it, it does involve some fries who were involved in the red wedding, and they yeah. and, and and they they're sort of they sort of get what's coming to them. But the fascinating thing is, um, you know, that's a really interesting ending of that book, and they they didn't even use that. So, yeah. so there's so many endings in these storylines and, and in this that, episode that there are whole endings that they didn't the, the actual ending of the book. They're like, nah, we're going to save that. We're not going to do that yet. And that moment is going to be a problem because everyone who read the books assumed it was going to happen. Yeah. And now they need to shut up about it for yeah. another year. Yeah. Yeah. Don't I tell watched people. This episode, I watched this episode with two book readers and again, they were having a panic attack at the very end as the credits <laughs> were rolling. Where is it? Where is it? What's well, going to happen? I was waiting and, for a post credit scene. <laughs> yeah. I've just been trained like that. Yeah, but I never I go think, full Marvel. So without again, without giving any details away because we're trying we're, we're not going to spoil the books. What I would say is it seems to me that um that epilogue would have been like literally one scene in one season and if they hold it off to next season they can do more with the stuff that is encapsulated in that epilogue. So they're going to they, they had enough endings here and they had enough drama that pushing that off it would have been a great like what the hell kind of ending but it'll work as a what the hell kind of scene next season <laughs> and that's and then they'll have some able to follow it up. And on TV it's a lot harder to have a thing that that you do and you cast actors and you have a thing that you show and then say well we're not going to do anything with this again for a whole year. That's kind of hard. So I see why they might have pushed it off. They've done that in the first season. They took some stuff that was uh, like actors they were going to have to cast for one episode. And they just said, we'll put them in the next season instead. So yeah. I think that's what happened here. But there's plenty to go. I mean, it, yeah, we all know who read the book about that last scene. But there was so much <laughs> in here. I mean, just just Tyrion and Tywin alone is you could end the season on that. And then you yeah. toss in uh, Arya going across the 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 sea on the boat too at the end is uh that's a great way to end it i think and for me what i like about the show the most is when they do things that aren't in the books like 
if Cersei and Tywin have a conversation that wasn't covered in the books, that's my favorite thing. Or the Hound and Brienne yeah. having a cool sword fight on a cliff. Yeah. I don't mind making room for that. I loved it. By the way, I loved when he went over the cliff that it wasn't like uh, Die Hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was like bump, 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 bump. Right? It was not just like a sheer drop. It was like he drops a little bit and then he just keeps hitting rocks and rolling down. And He did a Homer Simpson on that cliff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> The way they shot that, you know, one shot of him falling, it was very strange to see the perspective because I thought it was a much longer fall than it actually was. But no, there was a bump, 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 bump fall yeah. and still alive. So it was weird, but I liked it. Yeah, it was just kind of brutal. It's a, it's not, you know, you don't always just get a big steep cliff to fall off of and, and die. Instead, you kind of hit some rocks and then you flip over and hit some more rocks. And <laughs> it's bad. It's very bad. So the season is over. What did we... uh you know we can't we can't spend too much time recapping the whole thing. We 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 have lots of podcasts to do it episode by episode. But I'm curious what you guys think of uh, of this season as a whole, Monty. What do you think? Um, it suffers from the same thing I think the book suffers from, which is that the story is so spread out and disjointed. It's hard to really feel a single narrative thread through the ten episodes. I can look at individual storylines and say, Sansa, I liked Sansa's storyline, or Bran. Bran's storyline kind of bored me. But overall, it's hard for me to get hold of the whole thing just because so many completely different things are happening. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd agree with that. Bran, what did you think of this season? I definitely agree with everything that Monty said, but I feel like the you know entire run of the show has been like that, where they have lots of different disjointed storylines. But the thing is, in this season, they couldn't visit everything in every episode. There were long stretches where we wouldn't see Bran. We wouldn't see Jon Snow. We, <laughs> we didn't call see... those good stretches. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't see... Uh, what really upset me, we didn't see Sansa or Littlefinger in this uh, finale episode. So that means that the last thing we get to see of them for a year is that uh, one scene two episodes ago where uh, Sansa makes her beautiful lady debut in her uh, brand new uh, dress. Right. So... What upset me the most about this season was the fact that we didn't get to visit with everyone equally, and the structure of the whole season, I think, was uh, flawed in that same way. But you're right, individually, there were some really fantastic uh, some really fantastic threads. I think Sansa was a real star of this, just because this is the first time she is actively doing something in the show. She's not just being pulled around by other people saying, go here, go here. She is for the first half until Joffrey's uh, murder, and then she finally has things to do of her own volition while she's at the veil. So I think she was the star of this season. Yeah, I think the I think the big flaw, you're right, the big flaw of this is is that uh, there there's so many threads and it's hard to get momentum and that is that is something that's straight out of the books and I feel like the producers are trying very hard to fix some of those issues, but there's just so much story that it's very hard for them to do it. And yeah. and and you you know it, it it's even crazier on TV, but it's still a crazy in the books that you have these characters who basically have nothing happen to them for a whole book. They don't do anything. And on TV, they try to give them things to do. But in the end, you look back and you're like, you know, the last half of the season, what did Daenerys do? Kind of nothing. And she didn't do a whole lot. She took over another city, which she already took over a bunch of cities. She had that march. She got really angry about the kids on the on the who were crucified, and so she crucified the elders. But essentially, she did stuff we've already seen her do again. 
and and Bran is doesn't have much to do, so we see him here and there with Hodor, and uh, Jon Snow uh, didn't have a lot to do this time, I think, uh, until the very end. Uh, so so yeah, there was a lot. You know, Tyrion was um, not not that active for a lot of this until he you know got to be berated by Joffrey and then watch him die. I mean, there was some great stuff this season, but it does suffer from the fact that all of the stuff that is good, you want more of, and there isn't any more of it. And it's magnified by the fact that HBO insists on only doing 10 episodes a year of this show, which I understand how expensive it is, but there's so much story here, and to have to compress it even further into 10 episodes, you see these people even less. And how long would the episode, any given episode be if it was about just one character? I mean, we, would we get one episode about Daenerys every year? Is that essentially how her story's playing out? I don't know. That's really slow. That's, that's a tough pace. For, for I've always wanted to make a super cut of, uh, you know, different people's storylines just right. the, to The Tyrion see. show, Tyrion's Tales, right? How yeah. many episodes long is that? Eight? Six? Yeah. That we've spent uh, like a whole episode with him uh, other than the Blackwater? Yeah, I was going to say. We... <laughs> yeah, the one. Yeah. He, and uh, then the one where we spend the entire season or the entire episode at the wall. Yeah. Yeah. The mm. Jon Snow series gets that episode, but... You know, I, I love the show. It is appointment viewing. I watch it on, on the night it comes out. There are very few shows that I can say that about. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed the season. Having read the books, I'm aware of the weaknesses of the of the material here. This was a, a tw- like thousand page, eleven hundred page. It's an enormous book, and uh, they did a pretty good job of trying to figure out how to set the timing of this stuff to have two interestingly shaped seasons. But at the same time, you know. There's only so much they can do because the story is the story and it is sprawling and it does have all these characters and it keeps getting more characters. As fun <laughs> as Oberyn Martell is, he's like yet another character. And, you know, we're presumably next year we're going to we're going to find out more about Marcella, who's off in Dorne. Right. And and it's like, oh, more characters. <laughs> and, and and six seasons in, they say, hey, you remember Rick and Stark? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we don't. We don't even yeah. remember Rick and one thing I really like about the adaptation is it forces me to not skip chapters. Yes. When I read the books, I sometimes, like when I first read the first two books, I got impatient with Daenerys yes. very quickly. I'm like, so she's where? And okay, flip, 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 flip. Let me get to a chapter of someone I like, <laughs> which you can't do with the show. And I appreciate that because it forces me to appreciate this character's storyline. <laughs> Yes, she's with <laughs> Cal Drogo out on the grass sea. Got it. Got it. What uh, else I is going like on? I feel like Daenerys is still like a silo all the way out there in the east. And until she comes over to Westeros, I'm going to probably still feel that way for a little while yeah. unless it changes radically from the, uh, you know, from the typical conquer city, have dragons, all that fun stuff. Hopefully, you know, there's something that brings you over to Westeros very soon. Well, or I will say that we've got characters headed east now. And that yeah. that is interesting because that spreads the storyline out. It, the fact that we've got, uh, you know, and I I I I know I'm not giving too much away by saying you know where they, they I think they said that Tyrion is being shipped off to Bravos and she gives the coin to the guy who's going back to Bravos. So we're probably taking those people back to Bravos next year. That's good because then the 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 spanning of the of the world is a lot broader in these characters and there's yeah. more opportunity for those crossovers and and you know they're going to hear presumably about Daenerys over there in a way that they wouldn't in Westeros and that's kind of interesting too. So you know I like that part of it. Uh because you're right Daenerys seems, you know, she doesn't necessarily have to come to Westeros, but some of Westeros then has to come to her. And right now we've got like Barristan 
You know, <laughs> that was about it. And we got a letter I, from like three years ago yeah. from uh, Robert Baratheon. Yeah. yeah, and an assassin. And what I especially like about them going over there is that Tyrion and Arya are my favorite characters. Yeah. And if they want to go have a sitcom on their own, <laughs> where yeah. Tyrion drinks and says funny things and Arya kills somebody. And Varys rolls his <laughs> eyes and shakes yeah. his head. Like I'm totally into them sharing an apartment. All right. Let's get that going. That's right. And they'll share an apartment and Varys will be their landlord downstairs. Oh. <gasps> That's a, we we got it. We're we're ready to go. I keep bringing on, bring on season <laughs> five. We'll get I, we'll get it going. All I hope I hope to the gods, old and new, that they don't do <laughs> what they said. The books are. I again, I haven't read the books, but I've heard that they split four and five into two different halves of characters. Okay. so you get no Jon okay. Snow so, so in one of the books. Here, well, the way yeah, go ahead. Mark. The way that works is books four and five happen at the same time. Yeah, and. One set of characters in one and one set of characters in the other. So what they're going to do is, for the next few seasons, take from both of those books. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, and it's yeah, book four and the first half of book five take place simultaneously, and then all the characters from book four start coming back into book five. It literally – book four is literally just part of book five that got vacuumed out in order to get something released. And the, the day will come, and I don't know when, the day will come when they release that uh, – those two books together – in the right order because it's a completely artificial distinction between book four and book five um, just for, to get something out there. So yeah, we're going to, the, the one-to-one relationship, which has not ever been perfect, but where we had season one was book one, season two was book two and season three and four were book three is out the window because uh, even in this episode, we got a scene that's from book five and book four and five are now going to be source material for this for the next few years of the Game of Thrones, which gives them some flexibility, but it's also, you know, it's kind of a mess. So I, I wish them luck in piecing together how they, they structure this. I, I assume they have a plan, yeah. <laughs> and but it's going to be a mess in terms of explaining to people, like, what is this from? And it's like, well, part of this episode's from this book and part's from this book because the books were all messed up. And that's bad news for me because I'm only a little bit of the way into book four. Oh, no. So I have to get through that and, <laughs> and through all five. of book five before next year. If you don't that's want to be surprised. I'm reading clean. I'm not even going to try to yeah. start reading them. It's the other way to well, do it. People say they're good. I mean, people say the series is good. <laughs> not that many people, to be honest, say specifically book four or five is all that great. But I like book five. Fine. Okay. I, I think. I think again. I think if you. I could guess do it a was merge, nominated for a Hugo. If you could do, if you could do a merge of book four and book five and create that that Uber book that's got all the stories kind of interlaced again, I think it would be fine. I think the problem is that that book four is so unappealing because you half your characters, the ones you really like, are not in it, and uh, <laughs> then you you get to the end and you're like, okay. Uh, and then those characters don't appear in the first half of the next book, the the enormous book. So it's just a, a frustrating thing that they did, ironically enough, to make people less frustrated by getting a book out. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good luck. Uh, again, <laughs> maybe online, Monty, maybe somebody on the internet has created like a reading list where you can go chapter by chapter. And oh, I don't want to <laughs> have to like have multiple bookmarks flipping back I already read all of Infinite Jest, which required four different bookmarks to keep track of nested footnotes. I don't want to go through that I would, again. 
<laughs> I would like an omnibus edition of those books that maybe somebody has made an EPUB of or something that even though I bought the books, I bought the books, that's fine. But I'd like that omnibus version to read where they're actually back in chronological order because it's really infuriating to read book four. <laughs> any last words? We've gone very long, but this is it. So any last words about the season or Game of Thrones that you guys want to throw out before we go? Uh, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, thanks to whoever was listening to these podcasts. They were yeah. fun to do. Yeah, and thanks yes, to Brian thank for so for, much for popping in too. It, it was great having you on the on the show this year. Yeah, I've been listening to the Incomparable for two years, and it really means a lot to be here. So thank you, both of you, Jason Monty, for uh, letting me come in and talk into a tube for a few hours each week. Well, it was rare. <laughs> it's very rare for me to be on the other side of these things, and I always thought that doing a recap show would be fun, um, and and it was fun doing it with Monty. But but uh, then I got to listen. I got to watch the episodes and then play back the podcast the next day uh, when when you guys were doing it, and I was getting caught up after being on my trip, and uh, that was great fun so it was really enjoyable to have that moment of being a listener and being able to experience it so that was a lot of fun too and this is an experiment this is the first time we did anything like this and uh you know i i I had a lot of fun with it too i didn't i expected we'd have a different guest every week and instead it was sort of me and monty and then (laughs) you and monty and then me and monty again but uh but i had i had a, a great time and it was actually kind of fun to be able to um, do my homework and and uh, it's some late Sunday nights and and very sleepy Monday mornings, but um, <laughs> but uh, definitely a lot of fun. So thanks to everybody out there who has been listening. We'll be back with more TV podcasts about other shows and and uh, hopefully back for Game of Thrones next year too. But uh, there will ju- definitely there's. Um, We'll try to do some other things, and if you want to uh, give us some suggestions of things that you'd like to hear, you can go uh, send us an email, podcast at theincomparable.com. I think we'll get to us. So uh, thank you so much. Or you'd leave a comment on theincomparable.com in the TV uh, show notes pages because you can leave comments there now. Woo! If you're nice. If you're nice. Yes. Keep your silence. Maintain silence if you don't like us. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Valor Morghulis or whatever, something like that. (laughs) Or we'll send a dragon to your house. All right, that's it. Thanks, Monty. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thank you so much, Jason and Monty. And thanks, listeners. This has been your TV podcast for Game of Thrones Season 4. Goodbye. (laughs) 